What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans. And you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited. So find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you with my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. We are going to have a mostly mailbag podcast for the first time ever, so get excited. It only took us to episode 112 to have our first mailbag. Um, I'm pretty stoked about that, though, Andy. How about you? I say better late than never. I'm I am stoked as well. I feel like we got some pretty good responses on Twitter, so it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, but first, we did want to talk about some of the more, I guess, bigger topics uh, around the NBA right now, or just mini breaking news items. The place that I want to start is the New York Times is Mark Stein talking about how Robert Covington. Wherever you go, however you go. For energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Then the Sixers are basically going to agree to renegotiate and extend as soon as he's eligible on November 15th, which comes as a surprise to no one, really. But it is interesting because, one, the money that he gets will be tacked right on to his salary this year. So he's going to get a huge raise, and everyone expects him to. And also, everyone expects him to get a monstrous raise because the Sixers are worried about having cap space this summer, and under this this negotiation, they can decline his salary by 40% leading into next season. So if you give him, and this number is just common knowledge right now, if you give him all your cap space, if you're the Sixers right now, he'll make about $16.7 million, uh, million, excuse me, and that'll mm-hmm. come down to 12 this summer. So that would be the cap hit. that you, uh, Not 12, it would come down to around, uh, what was it, 10-something if you give him the, four, the full 40% pay cut. Um, and so that's a more manageable number obviously, uh, to work with when you're talking about chasing stars. It'd be like almost $10 million on the button. So I'm curious to what you've, what you've thought about his season, what you think he, he might actually be worth. Well, first of all, he's been fantastic right. this season. Last year, I think he was sort of like a niche, uh, hardcore NBA Twitter kind of fan favorite. Um, 
I don't, I don't think a lot of people who didn't pay close attention to the Sixers realized how valuable he was. It certainly didn't help that his shot was, it, it was flat out bad for the first part of last season. Um, it's the exact opposite <laughs> this year. He is red hot. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a moment just maybe a couple months ago on NBA Twitter, but there was this debate between Robert Covington and Andrew Wiggins. Oh God, I do remember that. <laughs> and so I, well, just while you were introducing this topic, I decided to pull up a little comparison between those two. Um, he tops Wiggins in, you, you could throw out like any number you want other than points per game. Um, and Covington has been better than him and, and significantly better in a lot of areas. Um, Basically, he's been Philly's second best player, third best player this season. It's it's him, Simmons, and Embiid for sure. So they absolutely got to do whatever they got to do to lock him up. And if they can get any kind of a discount, like you're talking about, that would obviously be a huge bonus because this is a guy in today's market who's easily making um, up, up near twenty million dollars a year. I would think. I don't know that I could go that high just because. Don't you think somebody else would though? I don't know. I'm like done making uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the suggestions here because of the market. Especially with how tight the cap's going to be this summer. So, yeah, I probably overshot that a little bit, but go ahead. Yeah, so I'm with you right there. And I don't know. If I'm the Sixers. I, I, I You absolutely keep him, and he's worth more to me than if he's going to get – if they sign him to a deal where he's going to get the declining 40% next year so that they can work with that really diminutive cap hold – uh, it's it comes out like four years and fifty million, four years and fifty one, and and that's would, probably he's worth more than that. I would do that in a heartbeat, yeah. If I'm Philly, um, and total, I, I just he's so good defensively, and the fact that he was basically an average or above average shooter for the first three years of his career on those, uh, two of which were spent on those bad Sixers teams, and then last year, yeah, he hits only. 33.3% of his threes, but that team, again, really wasn't that good without Joel Embiid. And you put him in this system that has good playmakers, some more spacing around him, and it's just not surprising to see him do this. Uh, obviously, I won't even say obviously, he's probably not going to shoot 50% from beyond the arc all year, but he's not doing anything revelationary on defense. This is what he's always done. He defends so many positions, almost all of them, basically. You probably don't want him going up against centers, but he is 6'9", and you're not going to have any qualms about throwing him on a point guard. And if I'm him, I'm not sure I want to risk it. So if the Sixers are just saying, we'll give you $16.17 million this season when you were supposed to make under two, that's going to be really enticing, even if, oh, now I'm only making ten pretty much next year. What the Sixers could do, and I was talking to you about this before we had hopped on a couple hours ago, if they're confident in their ability to get rid of Jared Bayless's expiring contract this year, you can give Ben Simmons about $12 million next year and then increase that by the 8% off his base salary this year, which would be $16.7 million. And so instead of Four and fifty, it's kind of like four and fifty-seven, four and fifty-six, and perhaps that's just more enticing to him, and it makes it more likely that he doesn't test free agency. And if you have to use your own pick to get rid of Bayless, which at this rate the Sixers are going to probably make the playoffs and probably have like the sixteenth pick, given all their young talent, that wouldn't necessarily be 
a huge loss, you could even manipulate that and it could go up and you could probably get closer to a four and sixty deal while maintaining I did all this, you would still get to thirty million dollars um in cap room. So You I, meant Covington, right? Yeah. You said Ben Simmons in there somewhere. Oh, well, I suck at that then. But so <laughs> you can get Covington about 12 mil. Like if you give him the 16.7 is what I'm saying for this year, you can give him $12 million if you think that you can get rid of Bayless for next year and still be working with a little over $30 million in cap room. And that number would climb if you have to use your own pick to trade uh, Jared Bayless, which at this point you might because he just deals with injuries every five seconds, it seems. And that's just an avenue. Maybe he signs the deal anyway. Maybe it's, wow, I'm going to make $16 million this season, which is, you know, let's say he's making a $15 million raise that he wasn't supposed to get. And this is kind of the Sixers operating in good faith because they could let this play out until the offseason. They know they have his bird rights. They can use his sub $2 million hold and try and work back from free agency that way. That they're not doing that is again a sign of good faith and maybe it just com- compels him to put pen to paper on the deal that everyone thinks they're going to chase yeah i'm with you 100 percent. I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer uh for philly and for covington yeah like you said this is a huge race for him right now i think this is a team that a young player or a young-ish player he's 27 already but um it's certainly a team that you would want to be on as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons continue to rise, he's, he's going to get so many wide-open three-point looks over the course of this next contract that he signs with him or with them. And like you said, uh, he's been this defender for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that, that first half of the year felt like kind of an anomaly with him shooting-wise. Post-All-Star break last season, he had a true shooting percentage of 58. Uh, right now he's at 65, so that's that's probably coming down. Um, almost nobody maintains a 65 true shooting percentage for a season unless you name Stephen Curry or something. <laughs> um, but even if he is like high 50s and he continues to defend the way that he does, he is like the perfect um, number three on a team with Simmons and Embiid. Because and- those guys are going to demand touches. Uh, if he just continues to be this spot-up shooter, like right now he's taking 11 and a half shots a game. Seven and a half of them are threes. And he's going to continue to get those open three-point looks uh, as long as Simmons is, is operating and Embiid's passing out of the post. It's, it's just a perfect situation for him. Yeah, and it's, it's even a testament when you look at the roster they were running out after the All-Star break last year. He shot almost 35% from three to close the season. And that was, again, hearkening back to the two previous years on those bad Sixers teams. If you have an average to close to above average shooter on your team when that's your team just he he's the perfect complement with on a good roster as you were basically saying and he's going to be a big piece if they want to make noise anytime in the near future because you need and value his defensive versatility and they don't they don't really know what they have going on with some of their other wings you know you have Ben Simmons who profiles as this switchy defender there have been some struggles for him this year but he's he's looked really good in some spots as well but you don't know what's happening with TLC uh, Justin Anderson is, is weird and he's going to eventually cost more money and he still doesn't have a great jump shot this is your high-end wing I, I just going yeah. up and down the roster so you, you pay to keep him and I'm interested to see what the final deal is worth I'm also just wondering if we're getting into all this salary cap gymnastics for nothing because who are the Sixers going to sign this summer that they need the full $30 million? And they would need more to get LeBron, which they would clearly open up if they needed 
to do, but who's going to Philly? And that's not an insult on Philly. It's just if Paul George leaves the Thunder, he's probably going to go to the Lakers. LeBron, I I just don't see him leaving Cleveland for Philly. It'd be an interesting basketball situation, but I just don't see it. DeMarcus Cousins, you have no need for. Who's the guy that you're going after then that's going to be worth a max or, or near the max? And that if they look at it that way, maybe that gives them more flexibility to offer him more money in subsequent years rather than asking him to take that full 40% pay cut starting next year. Yeah, I'm actually not sure there is anybody uh, they should be like any single player. I would spend thirty million on for them. I I think you want Simmons and Embiid to have as much of a share of the offense and the responsibility as possible. I, I think it's it's already their team. Uh, I don't really see any reason to sort of mess with that. If you get what I'm saying, I, I think that's a great top three to have, even for like. <laughs> They're already competing for the playoffs. That's not a great top three just for a young, like, developing team. That's a top three that's going to cause some problems. Simmons, Embiid, and Covington. Right, and let's not forget about Markel Fultz. If you had a healthy Markel Fultz in this equation, you know, there's your your big four. Are you going to tell me that Robert Covington can't be the third or fourth best player on a championship team? Because he probably can be. And just more to my point, the— they might not need that much money. Like that guy, I just, I, it's, he's not out there this summer no. to me. Kevin Durant, player option, going back to the Golden State Warriors. Chris Paul, it'd be really weird to see him leave the Houston Rockets, and you shouldn't be maxing him out anyway. I Russell, also wouldn't. I also wouldn't want anybody taking the ball out of Simmons' hands. Right, and it's just that's the other thing too is if you incorporate these three guys, Fultz, Simmons, and Embiid. There's really only two other positions you would look at, and Covington plays one of them. So, and you need guys like Covington to fill those other roles too, right? And guys so, who aren't gonna, who who aren't gonna like hijack the offense or anything, right? And you already you have an inside track on Reddick because he's there. You're, I would guess that they could probably just try and go after one to two highish end free agents. You you look at guys like Avery Bradley, maybe you see how much. Well, I shouldn't call him a high end free agent because he hasn't been great, but Kentavious Caldwell Pope. You only need that max money if you think Paul George or LeBron James basically is coming because they might fill actual needs. And so I'm, I'm even just looking at the free agents this year, and that guy's just not out there for them. And so I don't necessarily know that it's important for them to maintain this uh, $30 million a year flexibility or even anything close to it because the guys in the second tier shouldn't be coming close to making that much coin. No, especially not, like I mentioned earlier, especially not this summer. I think it'll be another year where there's a little bit of a squeeze on the players. Unlike that first year we had the salary cap boom, um, the market will be a little bit tempered again, I think, this summer. Yeah, that's what everyone seems to expect. And even if it's not, even just some of the biggest names are going to be bigs too. If DeAndre Jordan Mm -hmm. drops out, if if the Nuggets decline, you could make him restricted. And that's, like you said, that just makes no sense for Philly. Their their 4-5 is set for years and years to come. Um, so we're in lockstep here. Robert Covington is good, and you would what would you actually give him though? Let's remove the Sixers' future plans from the equation. The fact that they can only go so high this year uh, because of how much cap space they have, which is still a ton. What would you give him per year? Friend of the podcast, Alec B. Nathan, who writes for Bleacher Report and is as big a Sixers stand as he is a Taylor Swift stand, which is saying something. Said he would give Robert Covington four and seventy and wouldn't think twice. Yeah, 
uh, that's about where I was going to come down. Uh, like I said earlier, I'd, I'd go upwards of 15 million a year. I, I think that's, that's sort of the going rate for a guy who can do what he does these days. Less than Tim Hardaway Jr. too. Anyway, moving on. Speaking of the Knicks, um, a report from the New York Post, Mark Berman, that came out last night said that, quote, George Hill was reportedly ready to talk contract terms with the Knicks before Phil Jackson got fired. Uh, And Jackson was canned just before free agency started. And it noted, his report noted that Hill is friends with Knicks veterans Courtney Lee and Joakim Noah. It kind of seemed like they wanted Hill to mentor Frank Nielakina. The thought was that George Hill would be a good fit for the triangle offense, and he would have been because he doesn't need the ball. My thoughts on this are it could obviously just be convenient. It's coming out now um, because the Knicks are facing the Kings and blah, 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 blah. But I don't know what would have made New York's regime pivot from going after George Hill to then giving $71 million to Tim Hardaway Jr. That's what – because George Hill's contract is – it's three years and $57 million, but the third year is $1 million guaranteed. So it's effectively a two-year $40 million deal, and that short-term flexibility would have – seemed like a bigger deal to me if I'm the Knicks. And I know Hill isn't playing well right now, but Tim Hardaway Jr. isn't either. And it, it's just funny that, it, assuming this is true, I still, even after Jackson left, I, and even knowing how old Hill is, I still would have wanted him on the team, doesn't need the ball in his hands. He probably would have been a good mentor for Frank Nielakina. So uh, Nick's going to Knicks, but it's, it's, it's one thing to have not signed him if you're preaching like this youth movement, but to not sign him and then pivot to a four-year, $71 million deal for Tim Hardaway Jr. is blasphemous. So first off, I think it would have been a great fit. Um, like I, I echo everything you already said. Um, the, my only thing with, with the contract negotiations with New York is maybe that's earlier in free agency and he thinks he's getting more. At that point, maybe you don't get the three-year, $57 million deal. Because um, I think early in free agency, he's definitely looking for like 20 to $25 million. I don't. I think he, he eventually accepted that Sacramento deal because the reality of the situation finally hit him, that I'm not going to get the money I expected to get. Um, so maybe that's the one saving grace for New York. But yeah, like if you just look at it, <laughs> apples to apples. I absolutely would have rather had George Hill on that team than than Tim Hardaway Jr. Obviously, Hardaway's younger, and maybe he can still improve in certain areas of his game. Uh, but Hill is—he's just like the perfect sort of complementary point guard. If if you already have a star on your team that plays another position, that's a great point guard to have. He was great for Gordon Hayward in Utah last year. Uh, he was excellent for Paul George in Indiana. He would have been the same for Chris Stapps Porzingis in New York. Um, just sort of a great outlet on offense. He'll hit open threes. He doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. Like you said, he would have he would have been a great mentor for Nilakina. But um, and then in, in response to your other question, I, I don't know. I don't know how you pivot from George Hill to Tim Hardaway, other than the fact that Jackson wasn't there. I, I, that's that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I just don't it it again, it could be one of those convenient reports, just the, the time of it and everything, but uh, it's just another it it's another wrinkle in the Knicks' plan because I think Kristaps Porzingis is now overshadowing the fact that their future still really isn't that bright. Enos Cantor comes off the books after next season, fine. 
You're paying Tim Hardaway Jr. three years after this one. Joe Kim Noah two years after this one. By the time you can get any meaningful cap space, Kristaps Porzingis' supermax will have kicked in. By the time both Hardaway Jr. and Joe Kim Noah are off the books, Frank Nilakina will be making more money. And can you trust the Knicks not to add any bad, expensive talent in between that three- and four-year window? And, yes, you could maybe possibly trade some of these bad contracts, but that's going to then cost you picks. So their situation, to me, still isn't great. Frank Nielakina and Kristaps are a good place to start. But what if they end up winning 34 games this year, even more, because they're above 500 right now since Kristaps is too good? And then all of a sudden you're out of another potential top five pick. Kristaps Porzingis is fantastic, which is great. The hardest thing to do or the most important part of any rebuild is getting that superstar. The Knicks seem to have him. Their yeah. future is just not—I'm I'm not with it. They're fun to watch right now, but looking down the line, I just—I don't see it. Maybe they should just uh, go ahead and give Chris Depps that surgery now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was talking about this um, this morning, actually, while I was getting my hair cut at the barber, which, fun aside, one of the other barbers at my barber showed me his grandma's fantasy basketball team. That is a real <laughs> sentence. And that's the score. Awesome. His grandma was the one who told him about the Eric Bledsoe trade, uh, which I thought was hysterical, and apparently her team kicked some serious ass. She has Kevin Durant. Paul George, who's not playing well at the moment, but Carl Anthony Towns. And the, the roster makeup made me question who she's playing in this league in. That's amazing. Um, anyway, but I was talking about this. If he can play through it fine, now that you know he might need a procedure, yeah, January, February around the All-Star break, like buy Kristaps, like go get your procedure. And, yeah, and that's what I this. would do. Um, I haven't. I checked this a couple days ago. I assume it's still the same. Do you know... Who leads the NBA in points per minute right now? Kristaps. Yes. I think we talked about this on sure. the other pod. I mean, if that you... was that was shot attempts. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> um, I, he I is mean... awesome, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean... he's still he's still first. Uh, Giannis second, Harden third. Yeah, this is just, I mean, it's right now, no, and he's hitting some tough shots, though, and sustainability is an issue, too. He's playing hurt, and he's playing fantastic, but he's also shooting uh, 56% uh, when defenders are within two feet of his person, so a very contested shot, and he's taken more of those shots than anyone in the league, and that's while sitting only, out a game. The only thing about him with that number is, like, that's that seems more sustainable for a guy like him than any other player because he's 7 Right, three. It's like insane. His effective field goal. So he percent- can literally shoot over anybody. Right, and his effective field goal percentage out of the pick and roll is absurd. It's seventy point eight right now. He's shooting better than forty percent on catch and shoot threes. I would say he's. This is more sustainable than not for sure. I'm just. I'm wondering if anything is going to give offensively yeah. for him at some there, point. It could cool off a little bit, but I. I still think he'll be. At least close to thirty a game. Do you want to know what the thing that aggravates me the most is, and why he should be playing center? His the number of shots he's contesting at the rim is down forty percent from last year. Talk <laughs> about pulling him away from the basket. He's still fantastic at the rim. More than two hundred twenty-five players have contested at least fifteen percent, uh, at least fifteen attempts around the iron, and not one of them is close to matching his stinginess. He's holding shooters to just thirty-four percent in that area, and he's still averaging a career high in blocks too. Right, and it, he probably should be doing better, but he plays power forward, and he's just not—he's yeah. he's contesting a lot of three-pointers. I don't know why, but I have not—I cannot give up on the, 
Porzingis Canner front court. And this is coming from somebody who was like banging his head against the wall when Canner was on the Jazz. I, I get the frustrations with him. Why? Why am I still believing in that front court? I have no idea. Uh, he's uh, Enos Canner seems like a good dude, but I just I'm not a fan of that that front court pairing. And now Joakim Noah is about to come back, which means yeah, that Willie Hernan Gomez is never ever 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 gonna play. Uh, and uh, is he gonna eat into Kylo Quinn's minutes? Do you even play him at this point? Like it's Kylo just, Quinn's been really good too. Right, he he's been good. So the, again, the Knicks are not in this like fantastic situation. Yes, they have Porzingis, but. You know, there have been teams that have wasted the prime of superstars before. Anthony Davis yeah. is happening to him in New Orleans basically right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're in a lot better position than a lot of fan bases, that's for sure. You've got a guy who, who's going to be a legitimate superstar, but I, I think the concern is well-founded. Um. Yes. The last news item I'll move on to, and I guess it's kind of a smaller one, but I still find it interesting, is Chicago will be hosting – the 2020 NBA All-Star Game it was first reported by Nick Friedel, ESPN.com last night. was confirmed by Shams over at the Vertical. This interests me because in 2012, and I'm quoting an ESPN.com piece from Melissa Isaacson, owner Jerry Reinsdorf said, quote, They'd have to force me to take the All-Star Game. They take over the building. Your season ticket holders have to be in a lottery to see if they get tickets, and then they don't get a good ticket. Really, no good can come out of it, and all it can do is upset your fans. End quote. What year was that again? 2012. So I don't. <laughs> maybe the only change is that his team is terrible now, and he wants to draw some national attention to him. I don't know. That's a massive change of heart. I just find that funny because don't they – this isn't a thing where they mean like you need to have the all-star game. It's a thing that you have to bid on or, or put together like a – Yeah, like, a like he's got – he would, he would have to be like aware of that process. <laughs> so I just found that very interesting and I like your thought process there. Maybe if he, if he did have a change of heart, it might be because the Bulls have sort of been capitalizing off this mystique from the Michael Jordan era for so long now. And that's definitely going to fade. You don't have a marquee star with you at the moment. Maybe Zach Levine is that guy. He's probably not. If there's not a lot of interest around the team by then, or if your rebuild's kind of still lagging, that's just one way to generate a buzz. Yeah, buzz. Midseason buzz. So 2012, they were still a team that was like people would talk about them as a championship contender. Right. So he probably just thought he could say whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. Yeah. A lot can change pretty fast in the NBA. Oh, Especially also, when your best player blows his knee out. Can we pour one out for Josh Smith's Josh Smith's tenure with? Oh, the I saw that. That was that that bummed me out a little bit. I I really wanted Gentry to play Smith, Davis, and Cousins together just because it would have been. It bummed high. me out that they didn't like wait a little bit and see what happened with Rashad Vaughn's team option and maybe use the injured player exception to get him because he seems uh-huh. like he would have made more sense for that roster than. Josh Smith, another guy. He must have just been really he he didn't really play at all in games, right? No. Josh He must have just looked terrible in practice. It's so hard to believe that he Because they need they need like anything beyond right. Cousins Davis and Holiday. And they're not getting it right now. And apparently they didn't think he was gonna give it either. So RIP Josh Smith's tenure in New Orleans. He played twelve minutes this season. He had three point six PER. 
What, was that the fourth highest on their team, though? <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. E, no. All I'm right. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm interested. I don't know what they do. They're they've been fire uh, statistically when Anthony Davis and those two are amazing. Yeah. But you separate them. This is how shallow they are. You separate them, and neither one of them is a net plus on his own. Oh, I did not know that. So, I I just I, I don't know. Like that's. A I decided to look at the. I decided to look at the per just for the heck of it for the whole team after you asked me that question. <laughs> It's it's scarier, <laughs> scarier than I would have imagined. Each oh, one more and Jameer Nelson are ten point eight and ten point nine. Drew Holiday's twelve point seven. Uh, Cousins and Davis obviously are amazing. Uh, Cousins twenty four point eight, Davis thirty point four. Every other player on the team is below ten. That's not ideal, and they don't have e- the one player that you can talk yourself into as a real trade ass- asset for them, Etwan Moore, you can't move him because his defense is too valuable and he's going to hit some catch-and-shoot threes. Yeah. So of the, They have nine players that have played over 100 minutes. Um, four of them have sub-10 PERs. Dante Cunningham's played 312 minutes and has a 6.1 PER. Well then, it's a dire situation beyond those two. That I, and it's it's almost such a shame too because they would be super fun and maybe they'll still make the playoffs. But I picked them for the playoffs. We had Mason Ginsburg. I think uh, they're step, they're definitely still in the conversation. Right. I don't think they're even those, close. Those two are incredible. They're so good. And and again, yeah. the the Pelicans are playing really really well when the two of them are on the floor and. We had when we had Mason Ginsburg on from uh, Bourbon Street Shots to do the team preview. He just convinced me that talent is going to win out in this situation because you're you're talking about two of the five best big guys in the game, and you look at the Pelicans. They've basically been top ten on both sides of the floor. I'm looking at the numbers now when Davis and Cousins are on. That's uh, and that's they... a great sweet spot. They lost last night, but Drew Holiday had like his first big game of the year, so maybe that gets him going. Uh, he would make a huge difference on his own because he's supposed to be yeah, someone if, that can carry he, lineups without both of them, or at least close exactly. to Exactly. If he gets back to like close to the level that he was over the last few years, I, I think that makes a big difference. I, and I, they better hope he does because they gave him so yeah. much money. That's um, for sure. I'm actually looking at these numbers too, like the the solo ones uh, for the two bigs, and they're just they're super interesting in the sense that th- they're depressing. So in the time that Anthony Davis has played without Demarcus Cousins on the floor, and it comes out to, um, excuse me, it comes out to roughly eighty uh, hundred one minutes. The Pelicans are minus thirty four in eighty one minutes of just Davis and no Cousins. And now if I flip that, I kind of want to see – I think Cousins has been slightly better um, than Davis in, in his solo time, but it's still it was still a net minus last time I checked, and I'm looking that up right now. He's played – that's not even giving me the right numbers. So they're both net minuses, though. Oh, he's played closer to 130 minutes without Anthony Davis, and during that time, the Pelicans are a – minus 11 and he's played 154 minutes without Davis and the Pelicans are minus 11. So it's just plus 54 in 
305 minutes with Davis. So those two are plus 54, and they're on the court together. Uh, you pull one of them off, though, and the Pelicans are just done for. Unacceptable, probably, but an issue yeah. I suppose many foresaw. And not, yeah, and not really surprising, like you just said. Um, but, I, but, yeah, I, I still have them in the playoff hunt. They're definitely in the playoff hunt. Do you think they get there? The, I'm telling you, the Grizzlies start kind of tightens things up in that department. I, yeah, it does, because that was one of the teams I had out. And, well, that's that's one of the questions we have in the mailbag. Um, oh, let's it, start there then, it, shall we? <laughs> um, yeah, let me find that specific question. Okay, this is from Tom Rendy uh, at T-R-E-N-D-E-1-9. Writer for NBA Math, we should note. Oh, yeah, good call. Um would you now adjust your preseason playoff picks and who would you add slash take off from each conference? I, I don't know. I would take well, out no. the Cavaliers from the East. <laughs> I was going to say, I know who I'm adding in the West and that's Memphis. Right. Um, I've incorrectly predicted their demise for, I, I think this is at least the third off season in a row. They're Spurs light uh, basically, right? Because of how they exceed expectations. every Yeah. Year. They, they never go away. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I really liked the Tyreek Evans signing when it happened. I could not have imagined he would be what he is. Um, I just tweeted out earlier today, the top 10 offensive box plus minus he's, he's one of the 10 best offensive players in the league so far. <laughs> he's been amazing um I don't I don't really know how else to describe it I knew he, like I said I knew he'd be good I didn't know he'd be this good the other thing that took me took me by surprise was I I was among the people who thought Chandler Parsons was just done um but he's he has a really small role right now I'm sure he's still playing less than 20 minutes a game but he's been excellent when he's out there um basically what I'm saying is this this bench is amazing once Mark Gasol and Mike Conley start playing at the level that they're used to, too, they, they could even get better. So it's it's almost like they, they're a lock at this point. They are a lock. And you, to step on the toes of the Parsons-Evans argument, and I think we might have even talked about this on a past pod, they have an all-bench unit. That's their second most-used lineup right now. Dylan Brooks, Mario Chalmers, Tyreek Evans, Chandler Parsons, Brandon Wright. In 67 minutes, it is outscoring opponents by 15.3 points per 100 possessions. And that's their second yeah. most used lineup. Their bench overall has the second best net rating in the league now, right behind the Golden State Warriors. So they're deeper than advertised. And we have to note that while David Fisdale, he kind of subscribes to that Eric Spoelstra approach to coaching where he doesn't want or need to throw out his five best players to, in the starting lineup. You have Jarrell Martin and Andrew Harrison in there right now. Jermichael Green is coming back soon, I believe. And mm -hmm. I think once Ben McLemore comes back, I'd probably want to slide him in there for Aaron Harrison in kind of that Wayne Ellington role we've seen from him in Miami, just that pinball on offense. And they have the talent to cover up for him on defense. So maybe you keep Harrison in there because you, you like what he gives you defensively, but he's not a good offensive player. My point is their most used lineup right now is getting destroyed. They're <laughs> being outscored. They, their offense is bad. Their defense could be worse, but it's bad. And they're being outscored by 5.1 points per 100 possessions. So their most used lineup has the net rating equivalent, basically, of a team that as of now would be worse than the Los Angeles Lakers. And yet here they are. 
They've played out the toughest schedule in the league thus far. They're seven and four. Their bench is just absolutely fantastic. I, I, you have to pencil them in as a lock. There, you have another no choice. And Conley hasn't even had Mike Conley hasn't even like played his best basketball yet. And unless yeah, you believe this saying. is somehow Once... a regression, permanent, a permanent regression, which I don't think anybody should. I, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what like what to expect from this team. I, I keep saying, yeah, they'll probably win 44, 45 games and they'll get in the playoffs. But now I'm just like, they could get better and deeper. So what's to say that they aren't in that top four conversation? I still won't go there yet. I have to see everyone plays healthy and what the starting lineup looks like. And I definitely want to see whether this bench stuff holds. But I tell you, man, this team either way is clearly deeper than any of us realized. And this is coming from you who I didn't particularly love, like, hate, had no strong feelings toward the Tyreek Evans signing. And here you are, you liked that, and you still didn't see this coming. Yeah. And another player on that bench, Brandon Wright, I think he's in that all-bench unit, too, that you laid out. Yep. Um, he's currently 10th in the entire NBA in win shares per 48. So that's another guy who's playing extremely well off that bench. And and like I said earlier, and like you just said, if, if Gasol and Conley get back to their old selves, they could be even better. Um, a team that I had in that I'm I'm – fairly confident in saying is out now in the West is the jazz. Ooh. Um, <laughs> that wait, that hold offense. on, hold on, hold on. Jazz Twitter. Let's just, <laughs> let's let those words marinate. Andy Bailey just said the jazz are not going to make the playoffs. It's getting really hard for me to see. Um, their offense is not, is not their great. offense is It's painful. Um, maybe Rodney hood, Still finds like a little bit of consistency. He's he's really had a hard time being thrust into the. Well, he was supposed to be the number one scorer. Um, I think Donovan. Shots. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's doing it. He can to sort of take that role away, but doing what anyway. he can. I like the way you phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> doing everything um, he can. The the Rudy Gobert Rod or Ricky Rubio pick and roll is like non-existent. I I thought that was going to be good. I did not anticipate. Rubio having such a hard time throwing lobs and it's come out from some jazz media since the season started that he's like not comfortable throwing lobs. It's something that he's admitted. He's, he's used to throwing bounce passes to big guys, which is just, that's not the way you feed Gobert the ball. Maybe that gets on track at some point, but the, the other problem with that pick and roll is every team they've played so far, they will just pack like three or four guys in the paint on a Gobert pick and roll and just dare somebody like Rubio or Mitchell to hit threes from the outside. And it's certainly not working now. There's not a lot of evidence from Rubio's career to sur- suggest it's going to work any point this season. Um, I think a lot I, – I, for the most part, I'm fine with Donovan Mitchell's shot, shots. A lot of them look good, and I think his, his percentages are going to go up a little bit over the course of the season. But they better. long story short, it's um, – I think it's going to be one of the worst offenses in the NBA and in the West. It's it's just really hard to make the playoffs if you're a bad offense. They've dropped to 27th in points scored per 100 possessions. The effect that Donovan Mitchell was having on the offense where they were good with him on the floor, that's gone. They need – a healthy Joe Johnson probably helps you a little bit just because he gives you that pure score, that guy was going to get you buckets. But he's not – I mean, 28-year-old Joe Johnson isn't walking through that door. So. Yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily know what they do. I did. Propose- they also need to. At some point, they got to try something other than favors and go bear. And I just. It seems like Snyder's really hesitant to go there. 
I yeah that and if you're not when you don't have enough shooters on the floor playing those dual bigs is is a problem and it's even you're going to have both of them in the paint for pick and rolls and then you're you're going to have another guy it's just Rubio was shooting well for a minute and now he's not that's when they got those couple wins and yeah like you said it that went away quick so I, I don't really know where they go from here and they're not the type of team the their solution when I'm looking at the roster if this were two or three years from now, maybe it would be Donovan Mitchell, but I don't think you can call him a solution for this season. The solution isn't on the roster, and they're not the type of team that's going to go out and make like this big midseason trade. I, and I, so I don't know necessarily where you go. Yeah, they I, certainly haven't been traditionally. I did propose this deal for an article I wrote that I ran by you, where you give the that's, Mavericks uh, Alec Burks, Derek Favors. Before you, before you do that, hold on. Um. At Jake Miller NBA asked us what players could the Jazz realistically go after to improve their offense. There you so go. you actually you were you were about to answer that question. So go ahead. I think who the Jazz could target, and that's if they're still fairly in on this season, where it's the approaches we have Rudy Gay, we need to make the playoffs right now. You trade Alec Burks, Derek Favors, and your 2018 first. You can you put top ten protection on it or something to the Mavericks for Harrison Barnes, and that gives you a guy who last year showed that he will get his own buckets. And he hasn't been as good this season, but he shot 45.7 percent in isolation last year, the third best mark among players who chewed through 200 or more one-on-one touches. And this kind of jibes just as well with what the Jazz do. Nearly 18 percent of his total field goal attempts last year came late in the shot clock, the highest share among 365 players who appeared in at least 10 games last year. They certainly like to use that shot clock in Utah. Would you still do it if the pick was top or was if the pick was lottery protected instead of top 10? I go it's back, not that big a difference, but it's not. I go back and forth because Harrison Barnes might not be an os- asset. And I've said this on the podcast before: his his contract isn't great. I don't want to pay yeah. Harrison Barnes. Uh, what does what he owed o- over the next three years? It's... Unless you somehow think that like the third situation is going to be the charm. Well, and he was good. Last... Yeah, I mean, there was yeah, he was good, but I, I don't know if he's like pay him like a number one guy. Good. No, he's. I mean, no. He just he didn't have enough of an impact on the offense as a whole last year for me to buy into it. And if you include this season, he's owed seventy two point three million dollars over the next three years. You're committing to paying twenty three, twenty four, and twenty five million dollars because he's clearly going to opt in on that last year to a guy that isn't a star, and he has an eight percent trade kicker, which I didn't realize until just now. Maybe he waves it. I don't know that he would to go to Utah, but so you get him though, and he might be a different player with the Jazz because he's. A pretty good defender, can defend fours, and that'd be a nice compliment to Rudy Gobert. Everyone's always criticized his passing. Some people have criticized his ability to get to the free throw line. You might be able to resurrect a lot of his passing with the Jazz. They like to move the ball, and he could probably very easily run pick and rolls with Rudy Gobert if the Jazz and if he's a, to. I, I've always thought that if he's full, a full-time four, that helps him a lot. Right. And, and I, would, I would hope Utah would be smart enough to do that. I think they would, and he's... They would if Favors was gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I'm not... I don't know if I... I go back and forth, because if I'm the Mavericks, I don't want his contract on the books, but you're still taking on Burks, who is owed... What is Alec Burks still owed? He only has a year after this one, or does he have two? Yeah, he's 
I think he's done after this year. Yeah. Oh no, I did. I wrote. I don't know why I'm saying. I'm asking these questions that I answered uh, in an article. <laughs> so if you you take on Alec Burks's deal, you save twelve point six million dollars compared to Harrison Barnes' salary next year because Favors comes off the books and Alec Burks doesn't make. He makes about half, basically, what Harrison Barnes is making, and then he comes off on 2019, uh, the final year of. Barnes's contract that pays him twenty five point one million. So you get out from all of under that. Maybe I'd still do it with the protections. You're eating Alec Burks's salary, and I don't know if you have a use for him. So they they might harp on it. They might just be really high on Harrison Barnes too, because it certainly yeah, seemed he could absolutely be. He's just like a part of the plan. So it's tough to pry those because guys away. He's sometimes. also only twenty five. Yeah. So I I don't I would do it for I like it for both sides just because if I'm the Mavericks I'm selling off pieces left and right. Like you're you're not winning now, so what's what's a few more losses during the end of Dirk Nowitzki's twilight, and then you'll have that. Maybe you get lucky in free agency or something. You have that cap space to where you can now capitalize on bringing in a, another bad deal that nets you some more picks because you have you have to start somewhere. You can't just have like what is Dallas's core right now? It's Dennis Smith, and are they really high well, on Dorian Finney-Smith still? Right, yeah. Right now, it's Dennis Smith, Harrison Barnes, and. Seth Curry, I would think. Seth Curry's injured, and I don't know that they'll bring him back after this year either. Like, but, I mean, if, if you're just looking at the reality of the situation, and maybe that's why they need to change things up, like you're saying. And, I mean, Alec Burks, if he gets to actually play in Dallas, he I looked the other day, he's, his field goal percentage overall is absolutely crap, but he was shooting like 56.3% from three, which, you know, I'll give, I just, I, maybe he's that secondary, if you're going to lose Seth Curry... In free agency, Devin Harris is going to be a free agent as well. I think Yogi Ferrell is going to be a free agent too. So if you're going to lose a few ball handlers, he might not be the worst thing to have on a roster just offensively. He'd be a lot bigger than a lot of the ones they have right now. But I'll say that um, Rick Carlisle gets frustrated with players pretty quickly, and and I think he'd get frustrated with Alec Burks. Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel on the same team would be fantastic. Nothing like against Alec Burks personally. Just some of the things he does on a basketball court are like – not the kind of things that coaches enjoy. It's, um, it's, he's he's always struggled in that like equal opportunity approach. Yeah, it, because it seems like he wants to just deviate and go, like his style is more Dion Waiters. His best year was right before Paul Pierce effectively ended his career. Um, it was with Ty Corbin as the coach, and he was coming off the bench, and he could like like you said, he could just kind of do whatever he wanted. Um. And then he had the just string of injuries for two or three years, and now he's trying to fit into this system that's constant ball movement, and it's just it's just not really him. What is our next mailbag question? We've been really milking um, that one. We just got through basically two mailbag questions. We should probably Let's fire. See if we can uh, do the Eastern Conference too for that one, but super quick. Oh yes. Oh, I don't. Ha- I'm not ready to pull the Jazz out of the conversation really quickly. By the way, their defense should still be really good at some point, but I'm just not there yet. Uh, I the team understand. I'm... Go ahead. I'm just. I think you could definitely worry about them because the Grizzlies have now tightened things up. Because we're essentially saying that there are seven guaranteed playoff spots now in the West. Are we not? We're looking at Houston, yeah, Golden State, Minnesota, Memphis, San up. Antonio, and I would put Denver in there. That's six, and I'm gonna assume that OKC gets in the playoffs yeah they'll figure it out all right to the east i'm gonna say orlando yep is is now in i i don't know who i would 
The Pistons, oh, I think wow. I put as a lock. I don't know that I had them a lock at the beginning of the season. And I'm ready to go Philadelphia 76ers as a lock. I think I had them in preseason. But yeah, I would I would lock them in if I didn't. I, and I don't I don't know who I would bump. Maybe Miami. Um, I don't know that you need to because it was. I don't know how many fringe teams did we have though. Yeah, that's into true. The season and there I was th- a bunch. I think now the guaranteed ones for me: Boston, Detroit, Toronto, Washington, Philly, Cleveland. That's six, and I, I'm still inclined to believe Milwaukee gets there. So that's seven. I'm not entirely sold on the Magic being there, but they certainly belong in the, in the conversation, and no one had them there to start the year. And I think you're most excited that the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. I'm not going the lottery to be livid. <laughs> we just talked about that before, so we won't get into it, but I'm going to be I, short. I, unless they're going to be a 50-win team, as they play like a 50-win team with Kristaps on the floor, like get the F out of here with these wins. And you don't even want them to be a 50-win team because then it tricks you into thinking that you're on the right track, and aside yeah. from Przingis and Nilakina, you're not. Can't stress that enough. But anyway, um, right, Miami. Do, are you worried uh, about them leaving at all? Really quick. Yeah, that's I. Like I said, I think that's the one team I might be able to bump. Um, I really like. I like Dragic. I like James Johnson. I like uh, Kelly Olynyk. But after that, I there's nothing on that roster that really pops. There was a lot of criticism. Uh, this offseason, people were like, well, Miami just locked themselves into a mediocre team. And I thought a lot of that was overblown. But in the early part of the season, it's starting to look like, well, maybe maybe there was something to some of those criticisms. Um, there really isn't like a super superstar on that team. And you, you would think they still have enough talent to get in in the East. But if a team like Detroit is better than I thought and a team like Orlando is better than I thought, then it's it's not quite as sure for Miami as I as I kind of thought over the summer. Wait, you like James Johnson? <laughs> my Twitter does not suggest that. No, it's, it's basically just all it's it's all Jimmer and Donovan Mitchell tweets. Man. It has been a lot of Jimmer lately, and I love how angry people get. I don't know who gets people need to stop getting irrationally angry. That's stupid. It's Twitter. Anyway, so mad. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. Let's uh, what's the what's the next mailbag question you got on tap? I've got one from Tom Fischel at F I S H E L underscore Tom. And he asks us, Aaron Gordon or Kristaps Porzingis for MIP? Has to and be. He also... Go ahead. Well, Tom. okay, let's do that one first. He's got another one, but let's do that one first. I have to say Kristaps for me. I just think he's the better defensive player at this point, and I don't know. You're supposed to make – the most improved player more recently has been about guys who made that jump from yeah, being good to, to superstardom. And I think that's what Kristaps Porzingis is doing now. You were looking at him, and it was his rookie season. He flashed that talent. Last year he did too, but you were buried behind on offense, Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony. But now you're the featured option. No, the the Knicks aren't good. I get or aren't supposed to be good. They're better than they're better than they're supposed to be right now. But he's just he's so good. The one argument I have for Aaron Gordon, aside from the fact that he's been effing spectacular. The Magic might actually be good, and that will help his most yeah. improved in player case. He could, Porzingis could average thirty points, seven rebounds, two blocks, shoot career high percentages. The Knicks could be fantastic when he's on the floor. But if they're going to finish under five hundred, or if he gets shut down because of his elbow injury, Aaron Gordon would be right there. So I honestly, I don't really have a strong opinion either way on this question. But since you kind of made the case for Kristaps, I'll lay one out for Gordon. Um, 
like you said, Orlando could be really good. And I, I think with Chris Stapps, he's there's a massive jump in points, and and right now there's a pretty big jump in efficiency too. But I think you could chalk up a lot of that to this is he finally just has the role he was supposed to have last year. Um, and maybe you could say that to some extent with Aaron Gordon too. But this is this is a guy who's shooting thirty percent higher on threes right now. That's a like that's an obvious improvement in a specific skill. His rebounds are up three a game. Um, assists are, are basically the same. He's almost doubled his blocks per game. Um, he's about a third, thirty three percent up in scoring um, from thirteen to twenty. So he's made a big jump there too. I like I said, I could go either way, and it it, it really wouldn't make that big of a difference to me. But I, I think he's absolutely just he's had a stellar breakout too. Here's my thing with him. Some of this just seems so unbelievably like untenable. The, so he's yeah, not the three shoot. point percentage is really hard to believe stays. But it, but having said that, like a a week or two ago, I thought it's going to come down any day, <laughs> and fair. it's it's still up. Like, and every time I check a box score or watch like a quarter of the Magic, um, I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't sat down and watched an entire Orlando Magic game beginning to end yet. But Get I've, off the podcast. <laughs> I've caught them here and there. Um, every time I check up, it's like, wow, he's still shooting this ridiculous percentage. 4.4 attempts a game, nine games into the season, and still shooting almost 60%. The team is still um, shooting over 40, which is incredible. So, Yeah, that's insane. You- and like I said, we talked about this on the Sustainable or Not podcast. His percentage could literally drop 20 points, and it would still be like above what you would expect from Aaron Gordon. And the, uh, the, I'll say this too for Aaron Gordon, the thing I didn't realize that more of Kristaps' baskets have come off assists than him. I've noted the Knicks have done a good job running stuff for Przingis where he doesn't have to dribble all the time or he has this clear path to the basket when he's rolling or he's just firing off the catch. So I, I'm not shocked that under 60% or excuse me, that um, 60% of his attempts have been assisted on. I am, however, surprised that Aaron Gordon has under 60% of his attempts being assisted on. So, I mean, kudos to him. They're they're two good candidates. It'll be interesting to see whether either of these two squads are good enough to get these guys some real love. And I do think the Magic have a much better chance of that happening than New York. I agree. Can I I throw in my own mailbag question semi-related to this topic? Yes. The question that I've seen or heard on some sports radio, on Twitter – Maybe it was on some sports shows, but I've seen it out there. And a radio host said this to me the other day. When you talk about all the young bigs, unicorn-like players in the league, they would have, without fail, leading into the season, they would have gone with Giannis Attentacumpo, Carl Anthony Towns. Have, they're now asking the question, would you take Kristaps over Giannis? And I, I think that's absolutely absurd to ask. And that's no offense to what Kristaps is I... doing. I just think Giannis impacts the game so much more because of what he does as a passer on the offensive end. And he's more versatile defensively. I mean, maybe Porzingis ends up being the better defensive player because he's able to fill a more specific role, particularly if the Knicks ever move him to center. But I I don't even know that... Uh, that question feels bizarre to me. And I'm not sure if it's because he has a... Christoph Porzingis has a jump shot. Is that is that it? I don't know how you feel on that. I saw that somewhere recently too, and my initial reaction was exactly like yours. Like this is absurd. Giannis has already made the leap to like top five player in the league, um, and he's still only twenty two. 
which is just crazy. Same age as Porzingis. Um, right. Maybe Porzingis is 21. I don't know. Anyway, it seemed absurd to me. I do think he does a lot more overall, like you just said. Uh, but I, I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought it's – like I would still take Giannis, but it's not insane to me to have Porzingis in that conversation. And it's just because of what you said. Like <laughs> to have a seven-foot-three guy, when you see highlights of him knocking down threes from like six feet behind the line, that that is like – that's basketball altering stuff. Um, and if he stays healthy, he, he is going to have an insane impact on the game. So it's not crazy to me. Yeah, I'm still going to take you on this, but um, I'm not, I'm not going to completely outrule that possibility. I am. That's fine. It's good for the Knicks that it's not, it doesn't seem like a blasphemous yeah, question, but absolutely. Um, Tom had another one that we can maybe hit real quick. If the Cavs over-under was adjusted to 47.5, what would you pick? If the Cavs over-under was adjusted to 47.5, I would bet a crap ton of money on the over. Yeah, I would still take over, too. Um, I don't even what know. What are they right now, 5-7? and seven? Yeah, it's just the defense is bad. It's probably not going to get any better, but like they're in, they are, to their credit, and I don't like their new pieces, but they're incorporating a lot of new pieces. They don't have Isaiah Thomas. Tristan Thompson's currently injured. They've sent messages against some pretty good teams. They, I, I know they lost to the Rockets on Thursday night, but they've beaten the Wizards. They've beaten the Bucks. They've beaten the, beat Celtics. the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics yeah. are, seem like they might be a different team now, but but still, they're they're gonna win fifty games. If they don't win fifty games, I will be honest to God shocked. I think they'll get there too. Uh, let's piggyback that question with one from Tony East, another NBA math uh, writer at T East NBA. Um, I, the way he phrased this is funny. Fill in the blank. Andy, if you were on the Cavs, you would be the blank best defensive player. <laughs> so we can, we can sort of jump off of Tom's question and talk about the, the Cleveland defense, which is obviously the number one culprit for their issues right now. Um, in answer to his question, I would still be beyond the worst defender on the team. Um, it might depend on how much time they give me to lose 50 pounds. Even then, I'm still going to be their worst offender. Um, but I, I looked up in response to this question. And, and uh, basketball references, defensive rating, is it shows up a little differently than uh, NBA.com. Sometimes it's the same general concept, points allowed per 100 possessions. And through 12 games, Cleveland still has the worst defensive rating ever recorded, according to basketball reference. And it dates back to 1973-74. They're giving up 115.6 points per 100 possessions. The second worst was the 1990-91 Denver Nuggets at 114.7. So almost a full point worse um, than the current record holder. They, <laughs> they're a mess defensively. Like you said, they're integrating a lot of different pieces. Um, but when Isaiah Thomas comes back, obviously he's not going to help the defense. I, I don't know what's coming down the pike that's going to help. I, uh, Other than just, like, motivation? Is that, I mean, maybe the couple guys start trying harder? I, I really don't know. It's it's hard to see a light at the end I, of the tunnel for I, this one. I think Jay Crowder gets better. I think he'll be He's somewhere. been such a huge letdown so far. And I'm with you. I think there's still plenty of time to recover, but man. Um, 
Yeah, and I know so I, he lost his mother over the offseason, so I know people floated the idea that maybe it was just hard for him to train, and maybe it was. I mean, that's a pretty that's, difficult thing to go yeah, through. I, I, think, I, think, I think he'll be fine. I understand Brad Stevens is like the, the talent whisperer, but it's hard for me to believe that of all the players that LeBron has played with and made better and made so much money, J.R. Smith being one of them, how is Jay Crowder going to get worse? In the, is this situation? And That's a I, good point. Yeah. And once Isaiah Thomas comes back, things probably get easier for him. And I'm also not a fan. At, at some point, Derrick Rose better not be a part of the rotation once Isaiah Thomas comes back. And then at, at some point, I I don't know. You you got to start making tough decisions the way you stagger minutes. Like Wade or Green, one of them can't be playing, and both of them shouldn't be playing at the same time. And how has a lot of stuff, how has go ahead? I'm sorry. The last thing I'll say is I don't know that the Cavs will be a good defensive team in the playoffs. They've normally turned it on. I will say I don't think the effort arguments are that overstated. They give up a lot of wide-open three-pointers because it doesn't seem like they know what they're doing when players drive inside the arc. If they just closed out harder in certain situations, no team in the NBA right now, in fact, gives up more wide-open three-pointers per game. That's a number Yeah, that, that can... sounds like somebody that's just not running after the three-point line. Right. Um, how has Ty Lue not tried Dwayne Wade over Derrick Rose yet? How did like everyone in the basketball world think that that was the possibility when they signed Wade and he just he just won't do it? I have no idea. I I got nothing then, for you. The other, I mean that that just seemed like the most logical lineup to me from from the moment they signed him was Wade Smith is the backcourt. The other thing is, and I don't know if Cleveland is doing this, but if I was in that front office, I would already be talking buyout on Derrick Rose. Yeah, and he'll end up in Minnesota for sure. I think we can guarantee that. <laughs> I mean, he right now he's averaging uh, 2.7 turnovers and 1.7 assists per game. Yeah, he's not he's not a good basketball player. This isn't And news. obviously LeBron <laughs> I'm harping on this, but it yeah, like you said, it's not news. Obviously LeBron's the point guard, but Kyrie Irving found a way to get five or six assists a game with him. Um, he's also minus 8.2 box plus minus. Which is like, for context sake, it's it's unfathomable. Um, minus two is replacement level, and it's it's just it's really really bad. So much for the LeBron James saves Derrick Rose's career trope. Yeah, that certainly wasn't uh, it. So I don't know if we. Uh, oh, I did answer Tony's question. The answer is I would still be the worst defender. Derrick Rose uh, might. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. that you uh, know what? Regular season LeBron James might let you have a night or two as the second worst defender, too. You never know. <laughs> uh, he would also get me a couple of open threes. Can you shoot threes, though? I, that, that I'm sure. <laughs> uh, no, I could take your Now I, my game is like, it's really weird. When I played in college, I, I actually did shoot a lot of threes. And I play on an intramural team right now. And I, I literally do nothing that big country Reeves wouldn't do. <laughs> It's just like I'm 50 pounds heavier than what I played. I just park my fat butt in the lane and seal some guy off and just lay it in. I'm it's actually kind of easy when you're overweight. I'm super timid when I'm playing basketball. Like I, I just get like when I get in – if I'm playing with just people I really know, like I'm fine getting into the lane and going through them. Um, but I'm not good at anything. Like I'll, try, I'll try on defense. I'll give you that. And I have if you I'm ask – I'm the opposite. Ask, I'm like – the only the only time my competitiveness really comes out is when I play basketball. And I have a lefty hook that no one can defend, and I hit it at relative to <laughs> crappy pickup basketball players, a relatively high percentage. You can ask 
co-founder. Uh, no, I'm sorry. You can ask founder. I don't know why I said co. People have said co to me. Adam Frommel is the founder, sole founder and genius behind MBA Math. People give me and Andy way too much credit for this website sometimes. <laughs> um, founder, Adam Frommel can attest that I have a lefty hook shot. I need to see that at some point. I mean, you you're, see, you're uh... like, you're 7'5". I might not be able to shoot it over <laughs> you. I, I thought you were going to drop a percentage on your lefty hook for a second. I think I bet you one in three. Hey, that's not bad. I bet you I'm Did also you lying. After I, I, I had an alumni game for one of my colleges a couple weeks ago, and I literally calculated my true shooting percentage afterwards. No, you didn't. <laughs> you really are from <laughs> Twitter. And I tweeted it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> All right. Let's see if we can get through a couple more mailbag questions. Okay. Let's let's do these next ones a little more rapid fire. Sham, Sham God. Uh, well, that's his handle. At Sham Sham God, and it's Sham Mochiel. Burner account. <laughs> he writes for Piston Power and Real Ball Insider and Sixteen Wins a Ring. Um, or buying or selling Andre Drummond over fifty percent from the free throw line when the season's over. Uh, just by way of introduction, his free throw percentage for his career heading into this season: five seasons worth of free throws. 38.1%. This season, he's at 63.8%. Uh, i am going to sell. I don't know what to do, and it looks – it feels but really – it feels really – I'm going to buy. It feels really okay. weird buying, especially after he went 0 for 7 against the Pacers on Wednesday. But Van Gundy has basically been really outspoken about how I want teams to foul him. And I, I can't think that that's like some empty ploy – some tactic like reverse psychology to, Oh, I'm going to pretend that he's good. So he won't foul him because that's a big gamble to make knowing how bad he's been <laughs> historically bad. I, I think he's going to get there. And this is coming from an Andre Drummond pessimist. He just seems like a smarter player overall this season. Two things uh, I've noticed in the few games of the Pistons I've caught so many le- fewer junky post-ups. It seems like he's more about setting screens and getting into the pick and roll. And he seems like he's just playing a little, like maybe not, maybe a lot smarter on the defensive end. It's just some of his. I would watch him last year, and it I got I would get the feeling like I'm getting for Carl Anthony Towns this year. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I don't have that this season. He's statistically he's been this is by far his best season. Um, this is getting aside from the free throw question, but. Um... It, he has a career high box plus minus right now of six point nine. His old career high was all the way back in his rookie year, two point four. Career highs in basically everything. So he he's been awesome, and I think it'd be awesome if he was um, able to keep that over fifty percent. Because I don't know, I just think that's a cool story. All right, so I'll buy, and you hate fun, so you'll sell. I'll go ahead and sell. Yeah, Demar Derowen uh, at Rowan R O W A N Hamilton eighty eight. This is an interesting question to me. Um, is it best to be first in offense and last in defense, first in defense and last in offense, or 15th in both? And I... I'm going to say... Go ahead. I'm going to say first in offense and last in defense. That's the best one? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with you. Just be... And there's I think there's been pieces written about this. It, it's just you have more of an impact being a really good offensive player than you do a really good defensive player. And for a little bit of this season, we actually had like a pretty good case study. Uh, 
the Warriors have their defense is coming back to the level it usually is. Oh, good point. But for a while, they were historically good offensively and pretty bad defensively, and they were still winning. And they were you still watch them, and it just felt like they were dominant and the best team in the league. And the Jazz are kind of the opposite of that right now. Um, they have a really good defense and a really bad offense. And when you watch them, it's kind of hard to imagine them winning games. So um, maybe that's an overly simplistic way of looking at it. But yeah, I'm taking the 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 all offense, no defense if I have to make a choice. I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to get to what I think you're going to get to right now. We've got three more, so I, I assume oh, I'm probably going through all. Oh, we're getting through all of them. Let's do this. That's right. Or the ones you plucked out anyway. Rapid fire. Ryan G at D-R-G-G-R-I-Z-Z. Um, and we, we actually kind of touched on this, so we can be super rapid fire. Do you think most national media realize the Grizz are still missing two starters based on preseason expectations? Green and Macklemore both likely back this week. I'm going to admit that I didn't think Ben Macklemore starting was a formality, but I have not lost sight of the fact that they don't have Jermichael Green or Macklemore. A, I also haven't. I lost... will say that Dan's a big Jermichael Green guy. I can vouch for that. Yes, because well, he's also a good basketball player, but yeah. besides the point, and I haven't lost sight of the fact that Wayne Selden could be a good player, and he's not playing either. And He could the, be in the rotation too, yeah. Right, so I think the biggest thing with the Grizzlies is, yes, can we expect regression from some of these guys? Maybe Tyreek Evans, he's been a good shooter for a while, but maybe he doesn't shoot a zillion percent from three. Maybe Chandler Parsons looks a little bit slower as the season goes on, but now you have all these other options like behind them that are coming back, and the starting lineup is only going to get better. That's been their like worst point to, to this stage. Not only has Mike Cunley struggled, for the most part of the season, but you're starting Andrew Harrison. And if the assumption, I said this on a radio show today in ESPN Memphis, that I'm interested to see whether they start Ben McElmore right away. I had no idea, this I'll, I'll cop to, that it was just assumed that Ben McElmore was going to come in and be the starter. Um, but their starting lineup has been like the weakest point right now. You're not starting Andrew Harrison anymore. You've moved Dylan Brooks there over the last three games. Uh, but Jarrell Martin comes out for Jermichael Green is huge, and then you can decide what you're going to do with the Brooks Macklemore situation. So uh, I think like we, I don't go ahead. I don't know that people have forgotten about it, but I do think it's time. We're all I'm guilty of it at least. I I pushed them out of the playoffs, so I don't deserve Same props here. for noticing their bench is good. I, they're better than expected. End of story. I'd say. Yeah, and I think uh, the major takeaway, like we said earlier, is. Um, there's a chance they get even better when guys like that come back and when Conley and Gasol kind of rebound to their old level. Um, Chris Davis at K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-E-I-O-N says, can Capella increase his scoring average to 15 points per game? Also, uh, if he averaged 13, 11, and 2, would that be enough to get consideration for most improved player? Um he is currently 13.3 no, points in the, per game. Yeah, I was going to say he's in the top 10 in the NBA in PER, and he's number two overall in... Uh, I think he's top 12 in win shares as well. He's he's number two overall in win shares per 48. The only guy getting more than him right now is Stephen Curry. Uh, you know what, he's, he's off to an absurd start. And what, even at this absurd start, like you said, he's still two points shy of the 15 that Chris is looking for. Right, and we don't know... If one, is he really going to score more when Chris Paul comes back? Maybe, but to do that, he at least needs to play more. And I know the hope was that he could get to around 30 minutes per game this year, and he's never averaged. Last season was 23.9 was his career high. He's at 24.8, so another career high. 
but everyone's talked about how he can't really play that long. And if you're not going to be able to play 30 minutes, I don't think as a guy who seldom has the ball in his hands that you're going to reach the 15-point benchmark. And Chris Paul is going to take at least 10 shots a game when he gets back. And you um, could argue if you gave Capella, if he's going to play 30 minutes a game, you could you could probably make a case for 15 points. They could come with just those extra lobs because you'll run with, with Chris yeah. Paul. Well, per 36 right now, he's at 19.3. So yeah, if he if he oh, got good. the so extra increase minutes, his playing time by eleven minutes and he's fine. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll I'll probably say no too. Yeah. But his other I, I I think yeah he probably will get some consideration for most improved player. I wouldn't put him above Gordon or or Porzingis like we talked about earlier, but he should be in the conversation. He has been. I wish I had the numbers in front of me, and I actually might if we have Ace. He he's been lights out in the pick and roll. Like he's just he just doesn't miss this year. So. The, the chemistry between him and Harden on those is, is really fun to watch. I remember a couple of years ago, um, there was a story about Houston possibly wanting to move on from Dwight Howard because they were super high on Clint Capella. And at the time, it was like Dwight Howard was still pretty well uh, thought of. And, man, it turns out they were absolutely right about that decision. They used, uh, I remember that one of the justifications was just looking at like their net ratings with him compared to Dwight Howard. Yeah. And I, now I do have the numbers in front of me. So of the players who have run uh, or used at least 30 possessions as the role man this year, the top three in effective field goal percentage are, number one, your boy Rudy Gobert. Hey. Number two, Clint Capella, 73.7. Number three, Chris Stops at 70.8. That is a number solid four, trio. Number four is Demantis Sabonis because, of course, but I think we can move on to the next mailbag. <laughs> He's been awesome, too. Um, this is the last one. Hopefully, this is the one that you were anticipating a few minutes ago. Cassus Belli, at C-A-S-U-S-B-E-L-L-I underscore J-T-B. It was, again, hard to play Kevin Love defensively against the Rockets last night. If they decided to trade Love, what would be the most realistic return? It's tough, right? Because Kevin Love, you still think that he he's a star, but and I don't want to loop him into these bigs that teams don't want, but they're just they're not openings for guys like that right now. And do you want to? He's kind of at a weird point in his career now too. Do you if you're a rebuilding team, do you want to take a shot on him as as your centerpiece knowing that one, he's going to be a free agent in 2019? Two, he's twenty nine, so he's not like he's not young anymore. So no, you probably don't. That's going to eliminate a bunch of teams. The trade I talked to you about before coming on, and I think you could easily talk yourself out of it, but would be Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lamb, and a first round pick. And Jer- for those people, just I want to make it clear, Jeremy Lamb has been like really ridiculously good this season. He's been awesome, um, yeah. So let don't take that as an insult. And he has he makes like no money next year. It's like seven million and change or or something crazy like that. And Marvin Williams shooting the three fairly well again this year, and he's a, a sneaky good switchy defender. You could get away with him at center in lineups on the Cavs and be really good. So the offer to me is not an insult, but it's crazy to think that that would. That, I'm trying to think of a better trade or a team that could. I mean, Kevin Love and Dwight Howard. I don't even know if you want to use that front court pairing, but I'm just trying to think of the way teams play and teams that are out there. Who can you think of anyone else? And I know one trade you'll suggest, and I'll just tell you to go to hell, but. <laughs> Um, I I don't mind that Charlotte trade. Uh, I think Kevin Love and Dwight Howard would complement each other in a lot of ways. Obviously, Love is a little bit better at not a little bit. <laughs> he's much better at playing around the perimeter than Dwight Howard. The only problem, and we talked about this before the podcast too, is then you've got Cody Zeller, Dwight Howard, Kevin Love, and Frank Kaminsky all on the same team. 
Um, which is, I mean, that's not a terrible thing, but it's, it's still kind of a weird fit issue. Um, wow. Do you but know yeah, I think that's, oh, I think that's a fine one. The, the go ahead. The one I was going to suggest would have to be later on in the season in January when, uh, Jermichael green is eligibly traded, but can you talk yourself into Jermichael green? No, you can't. Cause it would have to be Jermichael green and Brandon Wright, And then some kind of fill of the Grizzlies just don't have the pieces. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm removing my own. Idea. I also right. Uh, I wouldn't want to shake up what they've got going with that bench too. That's fair. Um, <laughs> That's no one should want to shake that up. I preface this by saying that, uh, I don't think he's going to get traded. I, I'd be surprised if Cleveland's even talked about it very much. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. In their front office. But, um, boy, it's been a dream of mine to get him on the Jazz for two or three years now. I think he has a house in Park City, Utah. I just – what do you give – and him and Rudy Gobert I think would be a good combination. It's a perfect fit, man. You, and You only and have I just, filler, though. Who, who yeah, do the I was going to say the problem is I don't really know what Cleveland wants from Derek Favors. And I think Rodney Hood – might help them theoretically, but I, I don't think there's a package that Utah can send that helps them win a title more than Kevin Love does. And if they could, it probably wouldn't be until after this season when we see that the value of their draft pick was much higher. Yeah. And I, I, the only thing that might entice them um, to do it this season is maybe Donovan Mitchell, and I, I would be stunned if Utah would consider that. And it's just so – I'm just looking at depth charts. It's so hard to find – like, let's move trade assets aside. Like, it's just so hard to find, like, a great fit for him. Even the Pistons wouldn't make sense anymore because Tobias Harris is so darn good at the four. Yeah. The Mavs it are is rebuilding weird. now. The Nuggets, you take them off the board because they have Paul Millsap in addition to, like, eight jillion other forwards. And that was one of the that was one of the teams that actually thought about it this summer, right? Yeah. Wasn't I, there some buzz about that? Yeah, they were supposed to. There was the trade that was like the kiboshed by Indiana. Yeah. They, so I just I don't know. I mean, Houston to put him in Ryan Anderson's place would be fantastic. But you aren't. Uh, Ryan Anderson has been good this season. Uh, you're not trading Ryan Anderson for Kevin Love. Like, yeah, it's just not happening. It's hard to find a deal. So I think long, long, or short answer to the question is I just I just don't think it's going to happen. Maybe the Lakers would do it. Maybe they give up <laughs> one of their young guys for him. Because they talk him into like a superstar free agent recruiter, they wouldn't. But I'm just, just. Busy. And then, yeah. So that that wraps us up. Um, I thought we had some pretty darn good questions in our first ever mailbag. I'm also pretty uh, sure that we talked about what team did we not talk about on this podcast? Ask yourself that. Let the me Phoenix think. Suns. We talked the about Bulls? them enough. No, they have the All Star game in Chicago. We talked. Oh, about them. that's right. Blazers, uh, Suns, Kings, we didn't really talk about. The Spurs, uh, shout out Spurs. Kawhi better. Oh, that was the other thing. Really quick, as an additional news item, and because we have to appease our Spurs fans, Kawhi Leonard's, like, Greg Popovich first says that Kawhi Leonard's quad injury recovery is coming along, like, more slowly than anticipated. And then it was, I saw on Twitter that his sister apparently posted that he was coming back next week. So let's hope, fingers crossed, that we're about to see Kawhi Leonard's debut in a week or so. I saw that too. Um, be kind of funny if they, there's like a reporting battle between the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard's sister. <laughs> um, yeah, I, they I, I, they need to have him back. Um, that is a hot take. And I just yeah, <laughs> that video of him limping down there up the plane stairs was really you're making me sad worrisome. Yeah, that was anyway. <laughs> if you want to uh, contact Dan on Twitter, you can find him at Dan Favalli F A V. A-L-E. Um, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. 
Um, we'll probably do a mailbag like this uh, every week, so keep an eye out for those, and um, we'll we'll continue to feature the greatest, hottest responses, and we'll uh, give you a shout out on the podcast. Um, as always, rate this, review it, share it with your friends, um, subscribe, do whatever you can to to get more people to listen. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, and until next time, shout out to uh, Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be five-hour energy. It works fast. It works long. It tastes good. And with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. Five-hour energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. Napa know-how. This month, at your local Napa Auto Care Center, when you get a premium oil change with a cabin air filter, you also get a $15 mail-in rebate, which means the pros do the job and you get paid. Wait, what? Get your premium oil change and a cabin air filter and save 15 bucks at Napa Auto Care. Quality parts installed by the pros. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Care Centers. Offer ends 4 Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.